0: Want to be a part of the conversation? Then let us know on the TNT Radio interactive live chat room at tntradio.live. Lighting the fuse for freedom. Today's News Talk TNT Radio. You're with Natalie Cheel and Rick Munn on today's News Talk Radio TNT.
1: Happy Monday. Although uh, Rick and Gemma are laughing at me because I've been doing nothing but moaning. But I will try and make it a happy Monday. It's the 5th of February 2024. This is Open Line. I am uh, Natalie Chill, Rick Mum, my co-host, is with me. And we've got Gemma Cooper back as well. So we're very excited about that. And we've got guests John Porter and Basil Valentine to come. Don't forget you can call at the end of the show. You can get on our online chat or you can follow. TNT on all major social media platforms. The news doesn't stop here at today's news talk. And uh, what a good story we've got to start with. My favourite COVID rule from back in the day was the scotch egg one. So uh, of course, you'd be saved uh, from the deadly virus if you um, uh, sat down and ate a scotch egg here in the UK. But now they're saying, Rick, a scotch egg could help climate change. The scotch egg is Back. It's, it's going to save us all, isn't it?
2: Can you remember? Can you remember? For anyone living outside the UK, a Scotch Egg is like this. A disgusting egg that's <gasps> coated in breadcrumbs and all sorts of muck and then deep fried and then served up in pubs as food in inverted commas. But anyway, uh, Michael Gove, if you remember Michael Gove, he launched an initiative during the scandemic years. He said, if you go to a pub for a drink, you can only drink if you eat a substantial meal, a substantial meal. And the government deemed a Scotch egg, a fried egg in butter and breadcrumbs to be a substantial meal so the seals of scotch eggs went up but off the back of these lunatic uh covid regulations that gove brought in can you remember and people bought them not like they didn't eat them they just bought yep. them let them sit on their table and then drank maybe six pints uh while the scotch yep. egg cooled down but yeah they're making a return yep. here uh what's going on with uh, the return of the scotch egg
1: well, it's, it's all lab-grown meat, and they're pushing it. Uh, so there's a company called Fortnum and Mason, uh, the prestigious Piccadilly mm. grocer, and uh, they're using the good old Scotch egg to test their lab-grown meat. Uh, there's a Climate Cast podcast um, on Sky, and they they tested this Scotch egg, and they're promising us Rick, it tastes just like meat, and it's the way forward, and we're all gonna love it. And uh, uh, you'll be re- sad to know it's not yet been approved by the Food Standards Agency for consumption mm. in the UK. Uh, but Fortnum and Mason want to start the conversation. They're testing the waters. They want people to see this is the way forward. So I know you love your scotch eggs anyway. What do you reckon? A lab grown yeah. scotch egg in the pub?
2: Hell no! i I'm, Do you know what I'm surprised at in this story? Actually, Fortnum and Masons—they have a reputation for being like the pinnacle of delicatessen things. I'm surprised that they're bringing in the Scotch eggs. There's a butcher, one of the best butchers in the world. About well, he used to be about five miles from my house, but he's about fifteen miles away. A guy called Hannon Meats, Peter Hannon, and Fortnum and Masons—they buy a ton of stuff off him and stock his stuff in their stores. Uh, I'm surprised uh, because they put such a quality and farm-reared beef. Beef, organic, dry-aged, Himalayan salt-aged on one hand, and I'm surprised they would even feel the idea of rolling out nasty lab-grown meat. I can't see the Fortnum & Mason's customers being uh, discerning enough to say, well, yeah, we're going to sample some of that along with our quality produce. But if a strange move, I thought, on Fortnum & Mason's part, unless they're getting a little bung, maybe, just the thought, uh, to stock this muck to give it some uh, credibility. Natalie, there's another thought yeah. for you.
1: Yeah, it looks to me they've uh, probably had a little payoff uh, because, uh, like you said, uh, it wouldn't be something they do normally. Uh, They've said cultivated meat is in its infancy and we are unbelievably honoured to be able to create Mm. the first ever cultivated meat, Scotch Um, egg, and be among the first people to taste it outside of a lab. Uh, They're very excited about it. It looks to me uh, that that maybe money is uh, forcing Mm. their hand follow the money trail as we you always do smell say. the
2: money uh, they can yeah, smell them but in. i would
1: just like to say that rick is wrong here i can i, I can definitely say it the scotch egg uh, a, a fresh runny mm. scotch egg in uh. a pub, is well, one of my favorite things to order uh so so he's wrong <laughs> yeah, yeah. i can tell you that we don't like to say people are right or wrong here on tnt you're entitled to your freedom of speech but on this one um rick is actually incorrect uh. so it's time we can briefly uh Pause and speak to Gemma here at today's News Talk.
0: Clashing on the controversies. It's a woke society and I am fed up with it. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT.
1: Gemma, welcome back. And please say you agree with me. Do you like a, a, a homemade runny scotch egg? Oh! No. Absolutely no. No, 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 no. But
3: I, I'm very intrigued that it's Fortnum and Mason because mm-hmm. the grocer of choice for the royal family for decades was, of course, Harrods. And then obviously Diana and Dodi and Al Fayed accusing the royal family of knocking off his son. All of that. Harrods is not the grocer of choice anymore. The grocer of choice for the royal family by royal appointment, with all the crests on everything, including these new Scotch eggs. Is Fortnum and Mason; and it has been for many years. So, what the royal family end up doing, and um, the majority of the British public, they love to follow suit. So, I think that's that's that that with my suspicious journalistic head on, I'm not surprised it's Fortnum and Mason at all. Because if somebody spots Prince Charles, uh, King Charles, scoffing one of these things, they'll 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 that that'll be it, won't it? And we all know he will because he's a he's a fully paid up member of the global elites, WEF, all of that stuff. So, yeah, and not not without coincidence that story. I think that Nat, no.
1: I- and what's fact fancy? Some lab-grown meat. You reckon it'll taste anything like uh, real meat?
0: Without CO2, the world stops breathing. CO2 sustains all life on Earth. Government, the WEF, and the elite believe humans are the carbon they really want to be rid of. Today's News Talk, TNT Radio.
1: Right. Fortnum and Mason were obviously listening. They didn't like what we had to say. Technical glitch in the matrix. Gemma, what story have you got for us this morning now?
3: Well, it it seems it's not only the scotch egg that's back, uh, Nat, it's also the mRNA jabs. But this time, I mean, my blood ran cold when I saw this headline that the first UK patients have received this revolutionary new cancer vaccine as part of a new trial which is kicking off in earnest in the in the UK and it's part of a global trial that's going to involve hundreds of people in the in US in Australia and the UK over the next three years. It's called uh, uh, the Cancer Vaccine Launchpad uh, Trials in association with BioNTech and Moderna um, and scientists are uh, they're, they're delighted about this and the health secretary here in the UK, she's jumping up and down saying this is absolutely amazing. They're beside themselves with joy because they're using mRNA technology exactly the same as the the, the convid scandemic jags, jabs to treat and cure, they're claiming cure cancer. Uh, the, I mean, this is just, you know, anyone that looks at these the facts of this story will just think, really? You're actually telling us this? The trial is being led by Imperial College London and Imperial College NHS Healthcare Trust. It's the first trust in the UK to trial these jabs uh, and the patients got injected over the weekend, as far as I can see. Um, and they have been administered to British Patients in Hammersmith Hospital in West London. First uh, person to receive one of these jabs was an 81-year-old man with skin cancer, uh, and he's he's had the jab dubbed the mRNA four three five nine. And I, I suspect people who are into numerology and gematria is that the word with the with the numbers and letters. Mm. And we'll have a field day with that. Now these jabs are being uh, trialled to treat skin cancer, as we just heard there, um, any solid tumours, lung cancer as well, to treat and cure these cancers. Um, And it's a fast track trial uh, and the NHS is saying this is going to change lives. The health secretary has been quoted as saying this underlies our position as a life science uh, world leader. She doesn't say health world leader, she says life science world leader, uh, and and it, and we are at the vanguard. The NHS is at the vanguard of these clinical mRNA cancer vaccine trials. Pretty they're not at the vanguard of reducing the waiting list, but they've got plenty of money mm. to throw at this. Now, this is one of two cancer vaccines being developed globally. The other one is an individual cancer vaccine, which takes your genetic material out of your body, analyzes it, and then makes a bespoke vaccine tailored to your particular genetic makeup. I mean, it's just absolutely scary stuff. Um, And of course, not once in this trial um, have they mentioned diet and and, and lifestyle and exercise and all of that stuff. In fact, I don't think we're ever going to see any headlines ever again now about diet and lifestyle in preventing illnesses. I think it's from now on, the words vaccine have been so embedded in our culture and consciousness that people are generally accepting that this is the way forward in terms of healthcare. So they've, they've had the needle stuck in their arms. Let's see what happens. mRNA is here to stay, much like the Scotch egg. It's a, it's a sinister story. Imperial College London have got their tentacles all over it. And I do find the health secretary's words, you know, we're at the vanguard and we're the pioneers of life science. That's that yeah. to me is, is extremely sinister.
1: I mean, it's starting at the moment saying it's for treatment, Rick. How many vaccines do you think they're going to want us to take per year soon? You know, do we have to have a skin cancer vaccine uh, and a breast cancer vaccine and a prostate cancer vaccine, whether we're male or female? Because, you know, you never know. Uh, You might change your gender in between as well.
2: Well, here's the thing Uh, with the cancer vaccine. You know, cancer is, you know, the the most terrifying in the in the minds of the public. The worst thing that you could get, the worst diagnosis that you could have is to be diagnosed with cancer. Everybody thinks it's well, you, you, your mind goes into overdrive and they're going to use people's emotions to play in this, especially fear. So if they can remove the thought of uh, you getting cancer, or at least vastly reduce the possibility of it, uh, you're going to have people queuing up around the block. If they queued up for the COVID jabs that didn't do anything, you know, you needed six of them and you still got your COVID. If they did it for COVID, which was, let's face it asymptomatic at one point you didn't even have any symptoms how much more will they queue up on mass like sheep to be getting cancer jabs which in the in the words of this article they could treat and possibly cure cancer so there's no guarantees anyway uh, and even if there was any kind of guarantee with these drugs I would still try and change my lifestyle try and use prevention as better than cure and avoid anything. MRNA related especially if the government and the NHS are pushing it so it's a hard pass for me and that one that
1: Yeah. I mean, the way I feel is that the more that they keep pushing vaccines, the more I'm going to just have nothing to do with them at all. I mean, it's just one thing after the other. I mean, we've heard last week it was MRNA. Then it's uh, the HPV. uh, They're obviously pushing COVID. They're pushing the flu jab. Then we're now having a new cancer jab. I mean, I I can't imagine how many there's going to be eventually, Gemma. Is it going to be one a month? Yeah. You know, is that it's going to be linked to our digital ID possibly?
3: Well uh, it looks like that it looks that way you know and the the other one that's being developed is the one that takes your own genetic material out of your body does god knows what with it when they're analyzing it uh, and then makes you your own bespoke jab um using mrna I mean anyone who wants to go near mrna technology now with the excess deaths around the world soaring as we speak it's not just in the UK it's every single country reporting excess deaths um and, and you know and the, it's the biggest elephant in the room as we talk about all the time um but it's it, they're very open about this they're going to be using mrna um uh, you know despite the fact that there is the only <laughs> the only tests we've got the only data we've got short-term data is the last four years <laughs> and look at that look at that we've all got our own an- anecdotal stories about people that have had the jabs and not come off too well or are no longer with us. Um, so that's where we are with this. And the fact it's Imperial College London, you know, it's got the sinister, uh, sinister sniff of the elites all over this one. And it, it almost seems like they couldn't, people are really falling out of love with COVID boosters now. And it's like, well, we couldn't get them with that. Let's, like you rightly say, Rick, you say the word cancer instead of COVID, and everyone goes, oh my God, maybe I will get the jab, you know. And, and it's again, it's a fear based propaganda exercise. But the trials have started and they're going on for three years. Uh, let's see what the results are or if they sweep the results under the carpet. Let's see if that 81-year-old man who was the first to get the jab is still with us in a in a few months' time.
1: Mm. Yeah, we will. Thank you for bringing that one to us, Gemma. We will keep you updated here on today's news talk. And we've got John Porter after the break talking about knife crime on TNT.
0: TNT's Patrick Henningsen. Hamza Dahoud was the eldest son of the Gaza Bureau for Al Jazeera while Dahoud previously lost other family members in Israeli bombing raid and we would say that this is probably in terms of conflicts uh, this many journalists have been lost uh, killed injured in the whole of the Second World War and that lasted uh, a number of years and only in the last three months are we scraping a hundred on the uh, journalist uh, fatality list which is coming Fast and Furious out of Gaza. Patrick Henningson on today's News Talk TNT. In a democracy, the majority vote rules. But in most democracies, you can only vote for change every three or four years. To understand what people want, governments and political parties use focus groups. These focus groups can include as little as 20 people. Australia is a country of over 25 million people. Does making decisions based on 20 people sound fair to you? Have your say, be heard in between elections. Download the For My Say app now. That is number four, my say.
4: Are
1: you sitting comfortably? Oh, yes, yes. And
0: I'll begin. Even when you're just sitting around, we're rocking the talk. Today's News Talk Radio. TNT.
1: Welcome back and joining us now is John Porter, the legend uh, from Chasing (laughs) Descent. You can follow us, uh, follow him even uh, on ChasingDescent.com or on YouTube or on X, so make sure you go and do that. He's here to discuss rising crime rates and a knife fight that happened in broad daylight in Nottingham last week on Wednesday. Three men were seen wielding uh, big machetes. It was all captured on CCTV. No suspects found, of course. Uh, There were uh, luckily no injuries. Police urging people to come forward. Is it an isolated incident, John? Are these type of incidents happening everywhere? Or are we just only seeing it now because it's being covered on mainstream media?
5: Probably yes to all of your questions Sir Natalie <laughs> because that's what's kind of what's happening with the world doesn't it because you know if you think back to the 50s and 60s there actually there was nearly as much crime if not more and yet the perception of crime was a lot lower than it is now. Now we know everything you know if somebody if somebody spills their tea down in London or, or over in Paris we know about it and everybody reports on it and and you know, and I'm not I'm not castigating anyone here, but 24-7 news is partly to blame because if the news cycle's quiet, what are you gonna report? You know, you, you start delving into small and smaller um, events. Yeah. But but this, this isn't any, uh, an inconsequential event. This is probably an example of what's happening just now in that we seem to have more and more of these types of people running about with these types of knives. And when I say these types of people, it's unfortunate, but the statistics show us that the majority of people that do this kind of crime are young and unfortunately they're they're black. And and that's an that's something that people don't like to touch on, but when you look at the the information and the data, that's kind of what's happening. And my personal view is I think a lot has happened in the way that we police things these days, as well as a, a large influx of different cultural norms. And if you think about it, if, you, if you're from, you know, the Caribbean or from Middle Africa or whatever, a machete is an essential tool for life. And people, yes. people are used to carrying that kind of item. And that's not what we want. That's that's not what we want in this country. Not what we expect. But you can't expect people to change their culture overnight. You have to, you know, do it gradually. I'm not being a left wokist here, but the other thing is the police. And the police, I think, don't help the matter anymore. Because back in the 80s, when I when I joined the police, we put 12 12 cops out on a shift for a population of 50 60,000 people. That was Irvine. Weird, the home of our ex dear leader comes from, uh, Nicola Sturgeon. So we would be putting 12 cops out on a shift. Six of them would be in cars. The rest would be walking. When was the last time, other than London, that you saw someone walking the beat? That's the problem. Because if you're not walking the beat, you're not contacting the people that live there. You're not talking to gangs of youths that are hanging about because gangs of youths have always hung about because they've nothing to do. And that's normal. When I was a kid, I hung about, but we ended up we ended up playing soldiers in the woods and things like that because, you know, it, it was the thing to do. Nowadays, kids either spend all their time in their bedroom or they run about in gangs and yeah. the police don't contact them. The police don't have any knowledge of them. If that had happened somewhere like Nottingham, the local bobby should be able to go well. That's such and such and such and such because their photos are on CCTV. They're there for everyone to see. So how can they not be identified? That's mm. to me. It's a failing of the police, and we've seen this before. And it happened in New York. Remember when Giuliani took over New York? He did the. He he went with a zero tolerance approach. Because New York was a cesspit, an absolute cesspit. And yet within three, four years, the place had turned around and it was safe to walk in. I remember going to New York in the 80s, the early 80s and it, you didn't feel safe. But you went back in the, the late 80s or early 90s and it was as safe as anywhere. Probably safer than London. And yet zero tolerance works. And and we, we even applied it locally um, when I was a cop as well because... Cowinning, which is a town just outside Irvine, was getting out of hand. And what had happened was the cops that were there had been there too long. And they were letting things slide. They were—they knew, you know, there's a wealth of knowledge there. They knew everyone, but they let things drift. And then what happens is people start to take advantage. So they replaced all the cops. We went in, zero tolerance, bang, bang, bang. Fair but firm policing, you know. If somebody steps out of line, they got charged, they got done. You didn't give them a break and then then you can start to take the foot off the gas a little bit because people will then start to know that if they step out of line they're going to get hammered if they don't step out of line you know everything's going to be fine and when they stay step yes. out of line you know it, it, it some of the things that happened in co were outrageous yes. Yeah.
1: It, it's it's hard to uh, disagree with anything you've uh, said, John. And, uh, I, you know, all over social media, I saw that, you know, the crime is terrible. They obviously released the photos of the same day on mm-hmm. the 31st of January of the acid um, attack perpetrator. Um, it yeah. does seem deliberate because they're releasing only certain videos of certain individuals. It does then bring up a lot of uh, hatred and, and incites anger. Uh, but, of course, it's not really getting to the root of the problem. As you said, that we don't have enough police on the streets. The same thing that you were saying about black individuals here in Reading. I know there are loads of white uh, youths here uh, but, uh, as well. But of course, if they will choose to highlight the ones that, uh, that will be uh, possibly a, and the, the asylum seeker. They're not highlighting the cases of the youths that are white. Um, and really what, what we need to do moving forward, like you said, uh, why aren't they putting the money into the police force? Why aren't there more patrol? on the street, and instead they can use the internet to highlight massive cases instead.
5: Yeah, I I think you're right. And the problem though is I think they are putting the money into the police force. But when cops are standing taking videos in drive-throughs telling you that you'll get six points if you use your phone when you're paying for your drive-through, you know, and and when cops are out there making sure that people are wearing seatbelts, and oh my God, you're in a traffic jam and you touched your phone, You know, let's get real people. What is the police? Is it there to protect you? Or is it a revenue gathering service for the the government? Because that's what it seems to be more and more these days. It's not there to protect you, it's not there to help you, and it's not there to assist you in your everyday life. It's there to put problems in the way. I don't want people hassling me. I mean, what is the point? I can understand that using a telephone if you're moving is a bad thing, right? But what's what's the problem when you're stationary, regardless of the status of the car, if the car is stationary, whether it's in traffic or whether it's, you know, sitting at a drive-through, what is the problem? What is the actual problem? Yeah, yeah. And people go, yeah, but you get them, you see them at the red lights. Well, you see police doing it as well. So the police obviously think it's, the police obviously think about it, disregard it and use it, Right. But then they turn around and they do us for it. And these are the kind of these. And I know I did say about zero tolerance, but these are the kind of things that are easy for the police to do. They don't involve any real interaction. You know, it's bang, you did this. Here's your ticket. Take it up with the court. So it's yep. quick, Rick, done, dusted.
1: Sorry to interrupt, John. Have you got anything you wanted to add before we have to close it here? Break.
2: Yeah, Just real brief. Uh, there, was a, there was a comment in the live chat to say, you made a comment, John, about uh, pangas or machetes. Or they're called pangas in mm-hmm. Africa, but yeah. uh, you said, you know, they're fine for the jungles and the the, the bush, but uh, they're not exactly mm-hmm. fit for Surrey. That's what uh, Holly in the live chat mm-hmm. said. And someone else just real briefly as we uh, wrap this up said, uh, why is this gentleman saying that unfortunately, most of these perpetrators are black? Would he be using the term unfortunately if they were white? Well, I would use the term unfortunately for black hey. or white or white. Or Asian, because it's 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 sad that one demographic in particular is responsible for this, and we need to be asking ourselves a question: Well, why is that? Is there not something that could be done uh, to reduce this in this particular demographic? So whether they're black, white, or Asian, is neither Mm -hmm. here nor there. It's unfortunate. No matter what skin color they are, it's unfortunate that they're mostly perpetrated by one uh, racial group. That's just statistics, isn't
5: it? Spot on, Rick. I mean, that's exactly it. Eight point seven percent of arrests are white people. Um, over 30% of arrests are people of colour, okay? Um, we have 85%, in England, you still have 85% of a mainly white population, so more white people get arrested, but proportionally, only a third of them are committing the crimes. So, you know, that's I, why it's I, I think, unfortunate.
1: And I think it's also worth noting, if you look at big council estates, particularly in London, where knife crime is, it is disproportionately of the black community and uh, so that is also worth noting so it's also mm-hmm. a class issue rather than just a black issue yes. which some people yes. are trying to make it out and that's what I was trying to say um, you know if 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 those were all white and they're all black people were in all the posh areas I'm sure you'd see an absolutely different um, uh, statistic as well and that's what we well, have to uh, point out here which is which is uh, the truth rather than a manipulation or or, or a perspective on statistics I've got to stop it. I'm afraid, John, we could go on. All right. Uh, um, (laughs) It's time to go. Uh, Otherwise, I would love to carry on talking. And uh, we've got the headlines, and we'll be back with Basil Valentine after the break here at TNT. Now, news,
6: news, news. TNT Radio News. Matt Boylan here with your TNT headlines. New polling out of the U.S. signals the presidency in peril as incumbent Joe Biden records one of the highest disapproval ratings in American history. Following months of negotiations on a deal to combat illegal immigration, it appears Democratic and Republican senators have finally reached an agreement. And Pakistan's former Prime Minister Imran Khan has been hit with another lengthy jail term, the third such sentence in five days. On
0: air and on the app. I listen on the app. Stay up to date around the clock. I listen, therefore I know. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT
2: okay it's uh, open line this is tnt and just a reminder that uh, for the last 20 minutes or so of the show the lines will be open you can give us a call on any of the content that's coming out of the show here today or anything else that's grinding your gears or you want to get off your chest lift the phone and give us a call or leave us a message in the live chat but without uh, wasting any more time let's jump straight into it with our next guest the one and only uh, basil valentine is beaming in live joining us today how's the the start of the week been for you Bas?
7: Pretty good, Rick. Great to be with you and good morning to our viewers and listeners all around the world. Mm, indeed. Now, we've got a story here to cover. Uh, let's say it's
2: to do with finance, really, or it's to do with uh, what's going on with state pension ages. Of course, they're creeping ever later in life. Uh, people aren't getting uh, just as long to enjoy the retirement pot if they've built one up or for the state to throw them a few shekels every week uh, to keep food on the table. Uh, what's the crack, as they say here, with the state
7: pension age? The word on the street is it could be going up to 71 That's right, Rick. Worth remembering that the UK state pension is one of the lowest in Western Europe um, and you are going to have to wait until you're 71 to get it, according to a new report by one of the dreaded think tanks. This is due to the impact of growing life expectancy and falling birth rates. At the moment, the pension age is 66 but it's going up to 67 at some point between May 2026, only two years away, and March 2028. From 2044, it's expected to rise again to 68, but even that will not be enough. Les Mayhew, the Associate Head of Global Research at the International Longevity Centre and author of the new report, State Pension Age and Demographic Change, said in the UK, state pension age will need to be 70 or 71 to maintain the status quo number of workers per state pensioner. Now, buried in this are some really extraordinary statistics. Uh, The most arresting one is that by the age of 70 these days, only 50% of adults in England and Wales are now disability free and able to work. Now, I thought that, uh, you know, our populations were, w- with the benefit of technology and healthy living and all the other things we're guided to do, becoming healthier for longer and living longer. Uh, but it seems not. I was really shocked by that, Rick. I don't know about you. Only half of adults in England and Wales disability free at the age of 70.
2: Yeah, it seems to be a grim stat there, Nat. You know, we're we're creaking a little bit. Once you hit 40, uh, you start to creak. You need WD-40 right. for your knees and your elbows to stop that creaking noise. It becomes painful even to tie your shoelaces in some cases. So I don't know. I'm pretty grim at 50. I shudder to think what noises I'll be making and what bodily movements I'll be making when I hit 70 if I get there. Nat, is this something we really need to worry about? You know, we're talking about 2044 here. What's that? 20 years from now, I'll be 70 anyway. Way. Uh, I don't see myself ever retiring from TNT to be honest I want to try and break the world record as being the world's oldest broadcaster so I'm not overly concerned about this one but generally speaking uh, it's bad the way they keep kicking this can down the road because let's face it after you've been ground down all your life and work, we just want to retire I don't think- you
1: I think it's terrible. I think it's all very well for someone in an office who hasn't had you know, used their body or their uh, life manually uh, to do their job. But you have somebody like a, a plasterer, a builder, you really think they're going to be able to do that job up till 71. And what, we want to push this rat race idea any further, do we? So basically there are some people whose health you know is it's getting worse and worse and worse they probably won't have any pension years any retirement oh it's alright work till 71 if you die at 72 oh. never mind we won't need to pay for you um, and there's good reason that people are struggling stress levels you know mental health is massive on onto the uh, you know it, your, how you're doing and how well you're gonna live uh, so mm. we're just like destroying people so maybe there'll be no pension in you know I'm 40 I might not even get to 70 I might be lucky to mm reach that age the way I'm going at the moment, Rick?
2: Well, I don't want to make any predictions about your longevity, but I'd be shocked if you make it past 50 myself, Nutley, no harm <laughs> to you. Uh, but but Basil, uh, there's a supplementary story to this one as well, actually, in the strap line of the headline for this one says... Uh, Tying in actually with what Natalie has just said, I can't take it much longer, quote unquote, workers that are too young for a UK pension, but they're struggling to find work in middle age or they've been, you know, led off from a profession that they've done all their lives and that's all that they know. So they don't have any experience in other industries. So you've got this other squeeze coming from below the state pension yes. age, where people have been led off. They can't get work and they're in this terrible no-man's land with literally nothing to look back on and nothing to look forward to, that that makes matters even worse?
7: Yes, it's sort of the one prejudice that still rages around uh, employment uh, and other aspects of social life, really, and that's ageism. You know, people don't want to take on people aged 55-plus. It's not fashionable. They don't have as much energy they don't move as quickly, etc. So, uh, Natalie also makes a very valid point that, you know, manual workers literally get worn out earlier and have a shorter life expectancy. And uh, it's widely expected that if this happens, it will impact poorer people and manual workers more than anybody else. I mean, you know, the uh, the well-off, as it were, can often retire at 50 uh, with huge... Pension, private pensions, or whatever, if you've made a lot of money in the city or something, okay, great, but uh, that doesn't apply to everybody. Another really extraordinary statistic buried in this report, um, in 2010, people aged under 40 held £7.53 and pence of every £100 of wealth. Not very much at all, 7.5%. But by 2020, just 10 years later, that had fallen to just £3.98. So a third of the so-called Generation Xers are at severe risk of retiring without sufficient income. And of course, it's young people that have to keep paying into the pension pot to pay for everybody else. And if they simply don't have the money, then the whole system, uh, of course, would be in danger of collapse. Mm-hmm. Ageism is a big one, uh, Basil,
2: and also, as you yeah. rightly said, Natalie made a great point about f- hard labours. One of my friends, uh, good friends, is a plaster he's into his 50s now, Uh, he's been plastering since he's been 16 years of age, his body, his shoulders are absolutely shot, his back's bad, it's actually got to the point, I kid you not, he's learned to walk on stilts, these little two feet high stilts, so when he's plastering walls now, because he can't go up and down ladders the way he used to, and carrying buckets of uh, plaster, so he now has his, you know, hawk and trowel as he called it he's running around on stilts, he's taught himself upskilled to walk on stilts so he doesn't have to do the ladders and bend over or backwards when he's doing the roofs now as well, but he doesn't have much left in the tank. He's a real grafter but his body's shot to bits. So what happens if he loses his job or he doesn't get any That's work what, yeah. tomorrow? What's he, what's he going to do? He's he's literally knackered. So, uh, you know, it's not only the old horses uh, get let out the pasture, uh, fit for the knacker's yard, as the saying goes. That could be applying to people, you know, I don't want to say people like us, but people over a certain age <laughs> uh, with a certain skill set. We could be next in the knacker's yard too. Klaus Schwab will be over the moon.
7: Well, I, I hate to have to say so, and at the risk of sounding like a socialist, the answer is always, it's a wealth tax, you know, we need to tax the rich a bit more. There's no less money out there than there ever has been. In fact, total wealth in this country is greater than it's ever been, it's simply in fewer hands.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Wealth and transfer, we- wealth transfer, up. Yeah. Not-
1: Yeah, I was just going to say as well that uh, my nan obviously died very recently, but she was very lucky up to the end because uh, she'd been in the army and uh, her husband had been in the Royal Air Force and she had quite a a good way of life at the end because those uh, army pensions, uh were actually very very good but they don't exist anymore you know you know these kind of good pay- pensions for those uh, uh who were in relative poverty it will be a basic state pension and that's the other problem even you have to work till 71 and then it will be peanuts it'll be like you'll still be struggling to get some tin food at the shop that that's the other problem and it's that massive poverty gap that you were saying uh about that wealth divide well, it, it's worth
7: it. just very quickly mentioning as well if you remember last week uh we talked about uh, Bill Gates, 50, not Bill Gates, sorry, Elon Musk, Fifty-six, a single pay packet of $56 billion. Yeah. Uh, he, he didn't get it in the end as a result of a court ruling. But that kind of eye-watering sum of money is in the hands of individuals. And believe it or not, that would solve Britain's pension problem, you know.
1: Yes, exactly.
7: It would.
2: If, if it could be implemented and if it was put into place. But again, imagine what red tape and legislation will have to be passed before anything like that could happen, if and when it actually does happen. Uh, Baz, we've got a call time in this one, as per right now. So massive thanks to you thanks, uh, for stepping into the breach Thank this you. morning uh, and bringing us those stories. That's Basil Valentine. Uh, we'll be back after this short break with more here, Nat and I. And the lines are open, so please feel free to give us a call here on Open Line on TNT, today's News Talk
0: de-weaponizing weather with reality and perspective.
8: I really don't understand how this trial between Michael Mann and Mark Stein is continuing. And I don't know if Dr. Mann wanted to put his hockey stick on trial. There are so many holes in his argument. It is hard to believe. I don't even understand how people could have let that out without questioning it. And I've talked about this before. One of the biggest problems I have is he won't let anyone look at his data. At least, no one that is skeptical of his data and that should raise red flags. Now I've talked about this many, many times, you can go and look at what the global temperature does. When it's warm in the eastern and central part of the United States and warm across Europe, usually the global temperature is elevated. Now, when it's cold in those areas, believe it or not, the global temperature is actually colder. The problem with his whole hockey stick and the recreation of temperatures from pine cones is, the areas he looks at and draws his ideas from are usually cold when the earth is warm. So he would not be able to detect that. He would not know that because he's not a meteorologist. If he was a meteorologist, would he know it? Of course he'd know it because we talk about this all the time, they're called teleconnections. So if I were in there talking about this, I'd be asking where is your meteorology background and are you aware of this going on? But in any case, this whole hockey stick idea of temperature recreation looks to be more of a hokey stick to a lot of us out there. And the first red flag is you wouldn't let anyone look at your data. This is TNT climate and weather watchdog meteorologist Joe Bastardi asking you to enjoy the weather. It's the only weather you've got.
4: When the world's endangered animals need help most, when their lives are at greatest risk, when they would otherwise be lost, the International Fund for Animal Welfare is there. Taking action to rescue the animals we love, to protect them and their threatened natural habitats. But, the danger to animals the world over is growing. And the need for your help has never been more urgent. On land, you'll help stop poachers from threatening and killing elephants and big cats for the illegal wildlife trade. In the oceans, you'll help rescue dolphins, whales and seals from deadly hazards. And you'll help rescue, rehabilitate, and release vulnerable animals when disasters strike. Here at home and around the world, we can't do this work without you. See how you can help animals and people thrive together at joinifall.org. Be on the lookout
6: and alert for anything out of the ordinary.
0: Natalie Cheel and Rick Munn. Thank you for your cooperation. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT.
1: Welcome back. Don't forget you can call in if you want to speak to us. And uh, it was nice and busy on the online chat. We've got Holly, Skippy, Just a Bloke Who Asked Questions, Hemingway, Nige, Jack Guzzler, Cliffy, Lisa, many more. So uh, get on that and uh, read as much as you can. Uh, we uh, have a story about Rittens Fattest town. And uh, these are the words in the article from the Daily Mail. I love this. It's been invaded. We use that word a lot um, uh, uh, as it is on social media normally for migrants. But no, this time it's been invaded by chicken shops. Two out of three adults in Luton are classed as overweight or obese. The town nine now has 19 Perry Perry chicken shops alone and many more fast food uh, outlets. It has a whopping 4,880 hospital admissions for obesity per 100,000 people in 2002-23, the highest of anywhere in Britain. And people in Luton are saying the chicken shops need to be banned. It's the chicken shops fault they're fat. Rick okay and uh, the government and uh, the council need to take control they need to ban the chicken shops no personal responsibility it seems Uh, it's all their fault chicken shops have got a lot to answer
2: for yeah. Well, you know, it's nice to be able to point the finger of blame at something whenever there's a crisis in a certain area. It's their fault. It's his fault. It's that thing's fault. In this case, it's the chicken shops and Luton are getting the bad press. But let's be honest about it. If all the chicken shops and Luton were to close tomorrow, as per their uh, desires and wishes. Will that remove the obesity problem that Luton is currently experiencing? No, it won't, because the calories people are taking in are greater than the calories that they're putting out. So everybody's getting fat. And of course, depending on how you eat your chicken, you know, if you coat it in butter and then you deep fry it in lard and then you slap mayonnaise on the top of it, of course, it's going to make you fat. But I'm assuming these chicken shops aren't grilling their chickens Naturally, trimming the fat off them, sprinkling a little lime juice, maybe a little paprika on there for taste. Absolutely beautiful, delicious, and super healthy. I'm imagining that's not the case. The problem is not chicken shops, not like, uh, and strange the way it's centered in Luton, this one as well. But the problem is not chicken shops. There must be something going on there in Luton. Why Why is everybody so fat in Luton?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, I'm going to play devil's advocate here because, you know, I'm all about personal responsibility and not having the. It's the guy. It's not the government's fault. Yes. It's not the council's fault. But Reading is now having the same problem. The main high street. All the shops are di- disappearing. Do you know what's appearing everywhere? Fried chicken shops Mm -hmm. you literally Mm -hmm. when i walk around down the high street in reading oh there's another one there's popeye there's another fried chicken place there's another piri piri place you can't honestly get more than a couple of steps without seeing another chicken shop so whilst i don't think it's their fault um in terms of planning permission you know i seem to remember you know back when uh you know years and years ago you had to look at that what would be good for the overall atmosphere in a town in a city uh but I don't think they care. There's a good quote as well here from Sam uh, Sass Sass, who works at Sam's Chicken in Luton's Town Centre. He said we're always packed to the rafters. We're flat out out busy with customers. We love it. It's amazing and great for business. It's not our fault. What are we supposed to do? People have free choice on what they eat and we will provide that for them. So yeah, I mean I absolutely agree with him. It's your own fault if you've got an addiction to chicken. You know I like the drink too much so I've given it up. If you like fried chicken too much you've to give it up but i do also think that they're not helping the high street i don't necessarily think it's the government or the council's fault that people are getting fat but it is their fault that the high streets are turning to disrepair and putting chicken shops in them you know one after the other after the other certainly isn't helping the area
2: even if it's not just with obesity and it is a, it is a comfort food of sorts. You know, fried chicken is a comfort food, not like in the traditional sense, like chocolate, you know, and, you know, Mars bars or big bags of crisps, but it is. Definitely, when somebody gets a a big uh, plate of fried, well-done fried chicken, you can guzzle that into you in no time at all. And it also bridges the gap a little bit, Natalie. It's like coffee shops almost have uh, expanded in the last lot of years, while pubs have been closing down. They're almost like a little social hub now. You know, it used to be you would to the pub for a night out. It's too expensive to do that now, so people sit and drink. Fancy lattes and cappuccinos for an hour or two in a a coffee shop, maybe, and have a sandwich in there instead of going out to a restaurant. Saves a fortune. Maybe this is a real niche in the market, too. People can't afford to go out to restaurants to eat, so they don't want to go to the chippy and get, you know, a fish supper. So something different sits in the middle, perfectly fried chicken, peri-peri chicken. It's somewhere in between, and maybe that's where all the money's pouring into now instead of low-end chippies or high-end restaurants.
1: And Holly makes a really good chat, a uh, comment in the online chat. She's saying money laundering as well. We're seeing a lot of Turkish barbers. Um, it wouldn't surprise me. And she is right. There are so many of these chicken shops. There could also be some money laundering behind that. You know, it's, the guys are selling chicken. Of course, there's a lot of cash taken. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it, but either way, is that what we want from the high street? When you walk down, you know, the high street in your town or city, do you want to see just uh, fast food? Outlets, or should really, in terms of planning permission, there be more variety? And that's not about obesity. That's just if you Mm. want a town or city to survive long term, it's not going to do that if it's just got fried chicken shops.
2: And also worth noting, it's incredible that, that despite the density of these shops, they are, they're all still in business. There's there's enough trade for them all to share in it, even though they're saturating the market. The town that I used to live in, uh, there was one stretch of road that was about three quarters of a mile, and in that three quarters of a mile, I kid you not, uh, I drove up it one day with the plaster that I was telling you about earlier. Yeah. Uh, we went out for a drive one night, and we actually counted the amount of fast food shops, and it yes. came to 32. 32 in a three quarters of a mile stretch, but guess what? They were all long established, and they were all still in business, so yeah, it's all good. And the I think we've got a caller we've got holly we've got holly on the line holly the <laughs> holly, <It's> holly. <laughs> hello
6: yeah hi how, holly, you how are you I'm uh, yeah we're good. good Nice slow start to my monday and mm-hmm. uh, thought uh how, how is to say yeah i'm an old croc and um you know i'm still on a building site most of the time so you know come on the workers yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely.
1: I won't. I won't ask your age, Holly. But do you think it's realistic to be I'm working up to seventy-one?
6: Fifty-eight.
1: <laughs> uh, so, 50 so you've still, yeah, you've still got a a while. Is seventy-one realistic, really, for a manual worker to be doing that type of
6: work up to that age? Absolutely not. It's completely nuts. But I guess if you look after yourself properly, eat the right thing, do the right thing, then there's no reason why you can't work till you're seventy. But who wants some stumbling old 70 year old woman in their house with a paintbrush? I mean, God. Mm. <laughs> mm. Well, oh, this. To hear your
2: voice. You do that. You do the painting, and decorating. Okay. And you've been, uh, you've been listening in and to be, give your props as well. I know you always have the radio blasting out, no matter what house you're in, uh, propagandizing TNT radio, everywhere that you go. But even if you do look after yourself, Holly, even if you do look after yourself and you're a sprightly 58 and you're moving on into your sixties, by the time you get to 70 as well, you know, you do get fatigued with a certain profession over time. You do want to just step back, set aside any, uh, Aches and pains that are there in your body, you know, you want to have something to look forward to at the end of your life, and it seems to be the squeezes on uh, to take even that little bit of enjoyment out of our lives before we finally kick the bucket as well, don't you think?
6: <laughs> You're just on such a positive this morning, Rick You're making me feel so good about everything. <laughs> yeah, I think that. I think the the problem. Yeah, of course, there's a problem. There isn't going to be enough money in the pot. Because all those rich fellows will have probably nicked it by then. So it's a shame, but you know, I don't know, just got to try and keep yourself healthy, keep positive, build your own house, get a shed, live Mm. in a tree, I don't know, do something.
1: What we need to know, Holly, is how many chicken shops are there around you, and and do you frequent the chicken shops often?
6: (laughs) Well, actually, I'm in my back garden at the moment, and I'm looking at my chickens and thinking maybe I should start a chicken shop, I don't (laughs) But no, there there are quite a few chicken shops in the town in Surrey where I live, but also, quite a lot of nail bars and Turkish barbers, so they don't really have much use mm-hmm. for either of those shops, but I guess it's a money laundering high street. hmm
2: yeah. And the thing is, too, you know, you mentioned taking care of yourself or looking after your health. Of course, personal responsibility is very, very important. But that makes a point and you make a good point as well. These things are not healthy for your body, but they're not healthy for the economy either. When you do have a lot of shops springing up that are, let's just say, highly questionable when it comes to takings, dealing in cash only, maybe submissions that are made to the inland revenue to pay the tax. Uh, a lot of these shops could be fronts uh, for money laundering. I can't say they are. I can't uh, label anybody here, but a allegedly the word in the street is that a lot of these shops are fronts and we're seeing that with nail bars as well you mentioned nail bars I'm starting to see a lot of Saigon nail bars springing up in the town that I'm in at the minute and they're always full absolutely chock-a-block out there so yeah I mean I've been tempted to go in and get a set of acrylics on myself but the wife said under no circumstances that's on my toes as well as my fingers by the way I thought you'd look good well, with
6: the I'd black. Well, I'd be bloody useless black. if I had long nails. That wouldn't work for me. I couldn't work on, on buildings no. with long nails. I mean, It would help see. getting the,
2: the wallpaper off, though, would it not, if you're removing wallpaper? <laughs> I think if you rub it down with some uh, acetone oh. and then start scratching at it. Maybe maybe that's an idea, Holly. It might make your life easier as you head oh, up no, towards okay. 71. What do you so say? So
6: that would have to be Holly's stripper hands, wouldn't
2: it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, you've got to think you've got to be enterprising. You're not going to be up those ladders forever. So you've got to look <laughs> yeah. at fallback option there and maybe maybe we have planted the seeds into your head <laughs> yep. here this morning and Holly. Yeah. Uh, w- he- we're nearly we're nearly done here actually we're nearly coming up to time i could i could much. sit and have a yarn That's with nice you day. all morning thanks very much for calling in. thanks so That's- much
1: great to right. hear your voice holly thank you yeah. Bye. You're
2: welcome. You're welcome. So that's Holly from the, li- oh, she broke the dog. and listen, nothing but Woo-hoo! massive respect to you. We've been sort of semi-pressurizing her, coercing her, bullying her a little bit, if you like, in the live chat for a while to come on, but she did it. And I don't think it was too painful or too uh, hazardous an experience. And maybe it's one that she would care to repeat. Wasn't that nice to hear her voice, uh, Natalie?
1: It was. It was really lovely. I said, and, and so I want everybody else in the live chat to do the same. Now I mm-hmm. want to be able to mm-hmm. put a uh, voice to uh, to the name. So the challenge mm-hmm. is out there, Rick. Right now, isn't it? Holly's done it.
2: it- Holly's done it. So uh, there you go. She showed that it is possible and that we don't bite and it's not too stressful an experience. Let's try and uh, squeeze one more story in real fast uh, before the top of the hour. We'll actually hop across to Australia here. This is a statistic that was highlighted over the weekend by Craig Kelly, the politician in the UAP. Uh, What could possibly be the cause? 47.5% increase in perinatal deaths an extra 232 dead Queensland babies in 2022. And yet Queensland chief medical officer was promoted to the state governor the deputy prime minister miles has been promoted to a premier and premier anastasia polishay who was the covid lockdown uh, czar over queensland she's now enjoying a comfortable retirement and on a backdrop natalie of increasing infant deaths in queensland and australia shocking altogether.
1: Yeah, it is. Um, You know, I was reading the article in the Brisbane Times as well. um, And they said, uh, you know, there are parts of the Northern Territory where, uh, you know, the prenatal death figures can be uh, higher than normal because of lack of medical care. However, there is not actually an excuse for Queensland. The report that was done said there were 2,446 perinatal deaths nationally, including stillbirths. Um, that worked out to be 8.1 fatalities per thousand. But Queensland, there were 720. So that is an 11.5 perinatal death um per a thousand births so much higher and they just they said they can't give a reason for it so we're looking at one of two things for me we're either looking at vaccines and lockdowns or we're looking at incompetent or negligent uh, medical services there uh, so there needs to be a proper investigation rick because we don't know the answers at the moment
2: no, we don't. I um, mean, let's be honest about it. Uh, what what coincides with all this? You know, people listening in don't need need us to point this out, but in line with uh, the rollout of this. Uh, jab campaign since 2020, right the way up to where we're at now into 2024, frightening just over three years. It's been now since people got them. It's certainly no coincidence that there's been a spike in excess deaths. And as you've pointed out many times, and I agree with you, uh, it's we're not saying that every excess death results in a jab. Every time you hear someone died, suddenly it's the jab. No, we're not saying that. But you cannot ignore, as governments have been ignoring, the fact that there's been a huge rise alongside These jabs, so, you know, you can't rule it out, but yet with all that's what these governments would be only too happy to do. So uh, no doubt it'll get worse before. And
1: a lot of these wouldn't come into excess deaths anyway because some of these would be miscarriages, stillbirths, So, you know, this is a whole nother, not another issue as well. But we come to the end of the show. Uh, this has been Lopin' Line. I have been Natalie Chill. Uh, I will be back at nine o'clock tomorrow and Rick uh, will carry on for Locked and Loaded. So, have a great day, everyone. Keep thinking that you'll be carrying on working till 7:81, just to uh, end on a positive note. Bye-bye, everyone. See you tomorrow.